The Gospel reading for this morning is from Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 to 40. Listen to the word of the Lord. When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Christ. It is really hard to change your mind. Harder still to change anyone else's. This story today in the gospel is the last encounter that Jesus has with the religious leaders in the temple. And it's the last sermon in a series that I've entitled God's Politics. In this showdown, Jesus and the religious elite have been in debate with one another, going back and forth. And despite Jesus getting the best of them time and again, they won't change their minds. They have decided that Jesus is a threat and they can't be convinced otherwise. And it's easy to look at these characters, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the others, and we can just kind of wonder ourselves, how did they not get it? Uh, Isn't it obvious by now who Jesus is? But of course, it wasn't obvious, either then or now. And when we read these disputes, it is best to put ourselves in the role of the religious leaders, as those who don't get it, as those who, unbeknownst to ourselves, might even be opposing what God is doing. Now, this can be difficult, right? Because we like to think of ourselves as good people who are on God's side. But we need to allow Jesus to expose those parts of ourselves that we don't want to admit are there. It it hurts to see them. But Jesus, like a good surgeon, hurts in order that he might heal. And the struggle between Jesus and the religious leaders, we need to remember, it, it... began when Jesus cleansed the temple and led what I'm calling a people's occupation movement in the temple as they're challenging the authority of those who run the show. And these leaders, they came to Jesus and they posed a simple question, you know, who gave you this authority? And Jesus responded with with three different parables and then with a uh, dispute over tax policy that we saw last week. And this is the final showdown wherein Jesus is giving a litmus test by a lawyer. And lawyer in this context means someone who is studying God's law, the the Torah. And this expert in the law asks Jesus, which is the greatest commandment? Now there were 613 commandments in the Torah, and all of them were considered to be the authoritative word of God. And Jesus is asked, which of these is the most important? And for 
experts in the law, even they knew that you couldn't just obey all of the verses in the Bible equally. You couldn't just say that they all matter the same. They knew that the scriptures were a complex book full of all different kinds of writing over compiled over at least a thousand years, a, a library of books. And so they asked Jesus, what, what's the most important thing here? What is the interpretive lens through which you read and understand the scriptures? Or maybe a simpler way to say it is, Jesus, what matters most? What is the meaning of life? And Jesus responds by, by quoting from those very scriptures. Deuteronomy 6, 5, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And so far, Jesus passes the litmus test. This is the right answer as far as the legal scholar was concerned, to love God above all else. As we saw last week, Jesus reminded us that we all bear God's image, which means that we all belong to God. And so love of God is a natural response to recognizing one's life as a gift of grace. And so Deuteronomy 6.5 is really just a, an expansion of the very first of the Ten Commandments, that I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt and you shall have no other gods before me. So love of God in response to the grace of God is the very foundation of the life of faith. And Jesus answering this question in this way puts him right in the mainstream of Jewish tradition. It actually puts him on common ground with his opponents. Every one of them there would have likely answered this question in the same way. Love of God above all else with everything that you are. But of course, love of God can mean different things. Wars have been fought over those who were trying to love God rightly. People have been burned at the stake by those who claim to do so out of love for God. And Jesus will be killed by those who are seeking to love God. And so in order to flesh out what this means a little bit, Jesus adds a second commandment. He says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So in the end, this is what it's all about for Jesus and what it's all about for us as well. That our love of God is expressed through our love of neighbor. These are not either or propositions. It's not a first thing on the list and then do the second thing. No, to, to love God is to love our neighbor. And to love our neighbor is an extension of our love for God, whether we realize it or not. This is Jesus' litmus test of our faith. Of course, Jesus didn't invent either one of these commands. The first one, as we've said, comes from Deuteronomy, and the second is from Leviticus. And if you've read Leviticus, you might think, this doesn't come off to me as a love book, but in fact, it is. Leviticus was a book of communal laws given to a people who had just emerged from slavery that they might not pass on the oppression that they had just come out of. It was meant to put flesh on the bones of how is it that we become an alternative community, one that loves each other. Our first reading from Leviticus 19 
fleshes this out a little bit. Loving our neighbor means caring for the poor and for the marginalized, for the immigrants and for the stranger. Love of neighbor means equal justice under the law, that, that the rich don't have one system of judge, justice and the poor another. And so let me ask you, in our time, under our laws and justice system, would you, if you had the justice system barreling down on you, would you rather be guilty and rich or innocent and poor? This week we saw Justice Department finding where a family that had been involved in the proliferation of the opioids all across this country, they won't serve any jail time. They won't hardly give up any of their fortune. Would you rather be rich and guilty or poor and innocent? If you have to even ask about that question and wonder about it, it shows how far we fall short. Loving our neighbor means speaking well of each other, even those who we think just don't get it. So take any controversial topic of our time and ask yourself, can you speak well of those who hold the opposite view of you? If not, it's a, it's a failure to love. Leviticus tells us don't harbor hatred in your heart. Don't enact vengeance. Don't even bear a grudge. This is what it means to love our neighbors. It's no small task, is it? How many times have we failed to love? How many parents think that they are loving God by telling their gay child that they're an abomination? One of the leading causes of youth homelessness in our country are parents who kick their own children out of the house, thinking they're doing so out of love for God. Often Christians have been taught that the best way we can love other people is to tell them the truth. To tell them that they're wrong. But if the person that you are telling is wrong receives your love as hate, then maybe it's time to reconsider that we might be the wrong ones. Jesus' life is a testimony that love means including those who have been labeled as sinners. Love means advocating for those on the margins. Love means joining causes for justice, for the poor, for the orphan, for the widow, for the addicted, for the oppressed. Love for Jesus does not involve punishment. You can read all four Gospels, search them beginning to end, and try to find a single instance in which Jesus punishes someone. You won't find it. He speaks truth to power without demonizing those he is opposing. He stands up for justice without demonizing others. And this is where he gets his authority from. His willingness to love his neighbor as himself, even at great cost to himself, even to the point of death. And for all of his efforts to expose the religious leaders' hypocrisy, to expose their failure to love, Jesus will be rewarded not with repentance, but with death. And he knows this is going to happen. 
but he does it anyway. In the end, he is unable to change their minds about him. At least not for now. They are too close to power to see the truth that Jesus embodies. In principle, they would have agreed with Jesus that we should love God and love our neighbors. But not if it meant a loss of their own power and privilege. That's true for us as well. See, power blinds us to our own power, to our own privilege. It blinds us to the truth. It deafens our ears to the cries of justice. It deceives us into thinking that the way things are is the way they should be. And as people who hold much power and much privilege, we do well to remember this. I do well to remember this. And even as they turn on him, Jesus bets everything he has on love. His bet is that radical love for neighbor will in time be strong enough to overcome our addiction to power. His hope is that love might seep into our politics, that our decisions, our votes, our life together might be one that is rooted in love, that our greatness would not be measured by our wealth and by our power, but in how we treat the most vulnerable in our midst, those that Jesus calls the very least of these. Whatever we do to them, we do to Jesus. This is the litmus test of our faith. Love of God, measured by love for our neighbor. And though we fail greatly, God is patient with us. God is playing the long game. It is really hard to change one's mind. Harder still to change anyone else's. But it is not impossible. The path to change goes through great love and great suffering. And Jesus demonstrates to us the ultimate love and suffering in hope that it might change us as well. Because Jesus knows that love overcomes a multitude of sins. Yours, mine, everyone's. It doesn't happen right away. But in time, God trusts that his love will be enough to change even the most hardened of minds. Even yours. Even mine. Amen.